Jonathan for leading the music and Miss Alice for playing the beautiful music today. Let's pray. Jesus, we just want to thank you most of all on this beautiful Sunday day for going to the cross and for paying with your life the sin penalty for, for the wrath of God for the sins that we commit. And Lord, by faith, you've offered us a free gift of salvation. And Jesus, we want to just thank you for that and praise you for that, for being God and Savior and Lord, and that we might be able to look at your gospel message today, the death, burial, and resurrection. And Lord, that you would bless the speaker and that you would also bless the ears that hear your word and that your Holy Spirit would reign with us today, that any evil that might be here that would try to take the word of God from our minds and from our hearts, that it would be put away and that your glory and your honor would be lifted up today. And Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. So today's Bible lesson is going to be looking at the parable of the ten virgins. And this, as Jonathan read, this is from the, the book of Matthew. As we read the Bible, the Bible is always a very interesting story. And it has images that come into our mind every time we read different passages based on our experiences. But every verse has only one single meaning. It has many applications. But when we read the Bible, let's try to see what God is teaching us in the spirit world. Today we're going to look at the ten virgins. This is really speaking to people who go to church. Because a virgin is somebody who saves herself for her husband. And she tries to stay away from the ways of the world. In the spirit world, somebody that's virgin and saving themselves for the bridegroom who is Jesus and his bride is the church of Christ, they don't want to get tied up in bad theology. They don't want to go into a church that's apostate. And there are many religions that are apostate. Islam, Buddhism, 
Hinduism, all of the isms mostly fall into that camp. But these are people who go to church. All ten of these virgins, God divides them into two groups, the wise and the foolish, but they're all attentive to the word. They all have a testimony. If people were viewing them from the outside, they would go, wow, all ten of these virgins, these are really good people. And it's almost like the wheat and tares that we looked at several months ago, where they grow up together. And then finally at the judgment seat, God separates the wheat from the tares, the lost from the saved. He also says the sheep from the goats. There are many examples. And here we have ten virgins, five are wise and five are foolish. Now as Jonathan read those verses, he was talking about the lamp. And if you look at at the, the picture on the second page, there is a lamp in each one of those virgins' hands. The lamp represents our testimony. Every one of us has a testimony, be it good or bad. And every one of us will have to present that testimony at the judgment seat of Christ. The vessel that's spoken about here is us. It's our body, it's our soul, and if we're born again, it's our spirit. And what this gives us is eternal life. The oil inside that vessel represents the Holy Ghost. Just as the dove is a picture of the Holy Ghost in the Bible, so is oil a picture of the Holy Ghost in the Bible. So we see the five wise virgins, their light shone bright, their testimony was strong because they had the oil of the Holy Spirit in their vessel. The five foolish virgins, they didn't have any oil in their vessel. So when they lit the wick of their lamp, the wick burned out and the light went out. And at the judgment seat, they will have no testimony for Christ. And they will be the five that knock on the door and cannot get into heaven, cannot have eternal life, because God says, I never knew you. I never had a relationship. So let's take a look, a closer look at this parable. I have three points today. The first point is common grace and biblical illumination are not true Holy Spirit repentance. There are many believers in an active church. A lot of the church members are saved, and a lot of church members are not saved. So they they might be participating, but they don't have a true love for Christ. And really that's what determines if we're saved or not. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. Matthew 25, 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the the bridegroom. There are two types of grace. There's a common grace that everybody in the world has. My heart is beating. All of us are breathing air. We're in a nice warm environment. We had food today. We have a bed to sleep in. That's God's common grace. Everybody has the benefit of that. And if you look at Matthew 5.45, it says... They that may be of the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So everybody has the benefit of God's common grace. The second type of grace is saving grace. And that appears to everyone. God presents his saving grace, the way to be redeemed, the path into, into heaven through salvation. The grace of God has appeared to all men. So we see common grace, everybody benefits from it. 
But the grace that God offers as the free gift of, free, of salvation, most people reject that free gift. So do you see the difference there? There's a difference between common grace and God's saving grace. In Matthew 18, 2 and 3, it says, And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we say, what shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto? It's likened unto ten virgins. And in this verse, it's likened unto a little child. Well, what are some of the characteristics of a little child? I've shared this with you some time ago. When my daughter Catania was about two years old, she was sitting on the couch, and I was playing with her. And I took my hand, and I made that gesture like you take her nose off with your thumb between your fingers. And she, Catania started to cry. And I said, what's the matter, Catania? And she said, Daddy, put my nose back on my face. See, children have simple faith. And that's what God wants us. He wants us to have that simple faith as a child. What else do children do? Children want to please their parents. I remember when my other daughter, Alexandria, she was around six years old, and I used to do the dishes. We had a dishwasher, but I would just do them by hand. And she would always be next to me, Daddy, can I, can I dry the dishes? Can, when, when can I wash the dishes? And she really wanted to help me. And if we love Jesus, if we're a child of the Father, if we call him Abba Father, we're going to want to serve him. So these are the characteristics of children that we, we need to manifest in our life. And it's really a, a test of our faith. And it says, except you be converted, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So there's one of the requirements to get into heaven is to be converted, to be born again, to become a child of God. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, and this is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Paul is saying, I've told you the gospel message. And here, this church body, I don't want you to defile yourself with bad doctrine. I want to present you a chaste virgin to your husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Each one of these virgins had a lamp. And God says, my word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. If the word of God dwells in you, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, if your body has become a temple of the Holy Ghost, then his light will be a lamp unto your feet. And my feet today are taking me different places. I went to church this morning. Well, first I got out of bed, I went down and made some coffee, made some breakfast. Then I came to church, and now I've come here. My feet are carrying me. So if it were dark, I could easily trip. God's word becomes, in the spirit world, a lamp onto my feet. Wherever I go today, I can draw on the attributes of God and give a good testimony. But long term, what's going to happen in 5 years, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years from now? Somewhere down the road, the long term, God says... His word is a light onto my path. God has a preordained path for every one of us in this room to walk on. Are you using God's word, the Holy Bible, the scriptures, as a lamp onto your feet and a light onto your path long term? God wants us to always walk with him. Let's look at the next verse from the text. Matthew 25, 2. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. So we might ask, why were the ones that were foolish, other than the fact that they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them, what are some of the characteristics? Look at 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. We then, as workers together with him, 
Beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Vanity is something that has no merit, no value. And here, Paul is saying that people do receive the grace of God, and it's in vain. It never takes root. It doesn't bear fruit. It's in vain. And it says, here is what we have to do today if we're not saved. For he saith, I heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Because we don't know if tomorrow will come. Tomorrow is not counted to any of us. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day will bring forth. Second Timothy 2, 20 and 21 says, But in a great house, this is the church of God, this also could be the local church. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth. Some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Once or twice a year I try to go on a mission trip onto the foreign field. Over the years I've accumulated beautiful items. They've become valuable and cherished to me. And some of those, for example, I will put on a bookshelf that's nice or on the mantle of my fireplace. So they have a position of honor. And God says, there are people in the great house that have positions of honor. If you're serving the Lord, you could be a janitor in a church. And you could have a position of great honor. But look at, he says, some are to honor and some to dishonor. You know, in my house, I have those cherished items on the bookshelf and on the mantle. But also I have everyday items that I use. My pots and pans and my utensils. And some are kind of like dishonor. What about that garbage can? Okay? In the physical world, that has a purpose, but it gets soiled and dirty. In the spirit world, many times God's children get soiled from sin. God says, purge it. He says here, purge yourself from these things, and you can become a vessel, meet for the master's use. Don't you want to be used for God in his kingdom? Isn't that really our purpose here on earth? Are you meet for God's use? And then you will be prepared unto every good work. The second point of today's message is foolish people are really living with a carnal or a false sense of security. Many people think they're going to heaven and they're on the broad road of destruction to hell. Let's look at the text Matthew 25, 3. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. So they're going into the night and this really is foolish, isn't it? In the olden days, they had those lamps. I remember we used to go camping, and there's this cabin that we had. And at nighttime in northern Wisconsin, a lot of those places didn't even have electricity run through the campsites yet. At nighttime, you had to have a lamp. And this is before really flashlights and all that got popular. Wouldn't it be foolish if my mom or dad would have taken that lamp with no oil in it, hung it up on the rafter, lit the wick, which would burn for a couple of seconds and go out and say, okay, let's play cards or let's have family time or let's have fun, right, in the dark, <laughs> okay? You would say, hey, Mom, why didn't you bring the oil? Well, here it says the foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Now, in the spirit world, the oil represents the Holy Spirit, and in their vessel, their body, soul, and spirit, they had no oil 
of the Holy Spirit living within them. Matthew 7, 25 to 27 says, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus is the rock. He's the foundation of our faith. If you have faith in Jesus today, you're on the rock. You're a wise person. When the winds of life come, and eventually death, which will come to all of us, if we're on the rock, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We will be in his presence. But the fool builds his house on the sand, and when the storms of life come, they knock him over. Many times I look at people's lives and their wrecks. I don't understand how they can go through life without calling on God. Jesus, I need you to help me. And they don't have anybody to call on. It's in their own strength, and our own strength always fails. These foolish people, they do not build their foundation on Jesus the rock. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. There are many people that have a form of godliness. People can go to church every Sunday. I remember our pastor up in Northern Virginia. He said he visited a man who was a Catholic, and he was sharing with him the gospel of Christ. And the man said, I don't need your gospel. And our pastor said, well, why not? We all need salvation. He said, I've gone to church every Sunday for 35 years. If that's not good enough to get me in heaven, then I don't want to go to heaven. But that isn't good enough to get to heaven. That's a work of righteousness. When we do it in our own power, God will not accept it. See, Jesus did it all on the cross. Everything he did that's required to get into heaven has been accomplished. And over here, if we're trying to work it by things that we do, by visiting the poor, or giving money to charity, or going to church, or paying a tithe or whatever, that is a work of righteousness. Now, we want to do that if we're saved, because as children, we want to honor God. But over here, Jesus has done it all. It is finished, he said on the cross. All that we need to do is in simple, childlike faith, follow Jesus. Repent of our sins, turn to him through his power. For by grace are we saved through grace, his grace, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So here we have, how will we escape? Escape what? Fiery hell. How will we escape if we neglect this so great salvation? Really, there's nothing greater in the history of man. And there have been many great things. I, I think of when they landed on the moon. That was a significant event. I'm sure Pearl Harbor, I wasn't alive. I'm sure that was a significant event. And you can go through all of history, all the way back to Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. That was a significant event. There are many significant events in human history. None is greater than this great salvation of Jesus going to the cross and dying to appease, to propitiate the wrath of God. And it says, which at first began to be spoken of the Lord. You know, Jesus 
started his gospel message to us way back in Genesis 3.15, when he promised the Savior. And as he spoke and walked on the earth, many, many, many people witnessed him. When he was baptized, for example, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and the Father from heaven said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Literally thousands of people saw him crucified. Remember on Palm Sunday when he went in as the king and they were worshiping him on Palm Sunday. There were literally, at that time, they estimate two and a half million people were in Jerusalem for the Passover. How many hundreds of thousands of people saw our Savior that day? And it says, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. All of these witnesses give testimony that Jesus rose from the dead and is God. And all that we have to do is believe in simple faith. Back to the text, Matthew 25, 4. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So in the spirit world, when you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit as the oil in your body, your vessel, and you become a wise person in God's eyes. Romans 13, 13 and 14 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and in drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife. 8, 9, and 10. But we are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If you're a wise person, this verse is saying you're not in, no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit because the spirit of God dwells in you. With the Holy Spirit living in us, we become a child of God. And it says, if Christ be in you, the body is dead. We're all going to die. Our bodies are getting older every day. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Because of Jesus' righteousness, our spirit is alive. And when our physical body dies, our soul will be in the presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7 says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Our bodies are made of earth, of dust, and unto dust they will return. And isn't it awesome that God would chose this clay vessel, this earthly body shaped out of dust, to have his Holy Spirit dwell there? And it just shows the magnificent power and glory that he would choose us to be made in his image. Back to the text, Matthew 25, 5. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. You know, Jesus has tarried. It was 2,000 years ago that he went to the cross and died. And it was 2,000 years ago that on Easter Sunday morning, he conquered death, proved he was God through the power of his holiness, and was resurrected. And it's been 2,000 years since he walked on the earth 40 days after he was resurrected and then ascended into heaven. From our point of view, Jesus has tarried. In many respects, the church has fallen asleep. You see, that there's no distinction here. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. The wise five virgins who were saved and the five foolish virgins who were not saved, they all slumbered and slept. When we have something exciting on our calendar, I know with me, if I want to do something like tomorrow that's really exciting, I can't sleep at night. Are we excited like that for God? All of us probably in this room would have to plead guilty that we're not. Because I don't lose a lot of sleep like that, and yet God can come back today. So we all are a little bit guilty of slumbering and sleeping 
while we're waiting for the Lord. Matthew 24, 42 instructs us. He says, watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. We don't know when he's going to come. In fact, Jesus doesn't know. Only the Father himself will tell God Jesus in the flesh when he can come back. That's an amazing thing. Luke 18.8 says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Avenge who? The wicked people on earth. The ones who have done evil. We might say, well, God, it's been 2,000 years. That's not very fast. But for God, that's only two days. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? Our faith is evidenced by what we do for the Lord. James said, you tell me about your faith, I show you my faith by my works. Will he find faith on the earth when he comes back? Is he going to see the fields that are white unto harvest have many workers or only a few workers? Because if there's only a few workers, will he really find much faith on the earth? 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 and 3 says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. A thief goes into the night because he's he's unexpected. And God is saying he's going to come like a thief when you least expect it. And also he notes, then sudden destruction comes upon them. When the Lord comes back, he's going to avenge the evil done. God says, I will recompense. Jesus will even the scores. We don't need to do that because God will take care of that. But look, for any of you women in this room who have given birth to a baby, you know when the water breaks, that's it. You can't stop. That baby's going to come. And Jesus is saying, just like you travailed in childbirth, it says, as travail upon a woman, it can't be stopped. That baby's coming with child, and they shall not escape. As sure as that baby comes when you have your childbirth, That's how sure that destruction of the wicked will be. The third point today is we must be born again through saving faith. And if we're not born again, we will face the eternal wrath of God. Matthew 25, 6 says, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. The bridegroom is Jesus, he's coming. For all of us, this parable has an application either when he comes back at the rapture, or when we die. Because either way, God's going to look at the light in our lamp and he's going to evaluate the testimony. Do we have the Holy Spirit in our vessel? Matthew 24, 42 to 44 says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be also ready For in such hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. He's saying the watchman, the watchman was charged with protecting whatever, the household and an army, the guards. They are responsible for protecting the things that are cherished. Our testimony to the Lord is the thing that we should cherish most for him. Because our service for our king is what's going to be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
Comfort yourself with these words. In the verse it says that at midnight was a cry that was made. The angels and the trump of God, that's going to be a loud noise. That's at the rapture time. These verses are speaking of the rapture. But what about if we prevent the rapture? What happens when we die before the Lord returns? We're still going to hear that trump of God. We're still going to stand before God at either the bema seat for the saved or the great white throne for the lost to give an account. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. We should be ready and waiting for the Lord because we don't know when he's going to come back. Revelation 16, 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches. Are you watching? If you watch, you're blessed. And keepeth his garments. The garments are our testimony. We don't want to have soiled garments when Jesus comes back. We don't want to have dirty garments. We don't want to have sin in our life when Jesus comes back. Lest you walk naked. Because in the spirit world, when we're dirty, we're not clothed in the righteousness of God. Even though we're saved, we're saved so as by fire. That's the way the Bible defines it. And it says, and they will see your shame. We don't know exactly what's going to be disclosed at the judgment seats of Christ. But God is saying here, they will see your shame. So some people will be shamed at the judgment seat of Christ. Matthew 25, 7 says, Then all those of virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Okay, now is the time to present their testimony. They get their lamp, and you see in the picture on, on the second page, all those virgins have a lamp, and they're going to trim it. They're going to light that little wick, and the wick will be lit up. Now the question is, will it continue to burn? Romans 13, 11, and 12 says, and, know, and that knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Have you cast off the works of darkness in your life? Because the day is well spent. The time is at hand. The Lord is coming back. And he's saying, put on the armor of light. When you have to give your testimony and light your lamp before the Lord at the judgment seat, will you have the armor of his light in your life? Romans 13, 13 and 14 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. All of this list, the rioting, the drunkening, the chambering, the wantonness, those are all things of the flesh. And our pastor said, nothing good happens after 11. And when you go into these bars and nightclubs and all of that, the lights are always low. Because sin likes darkness. In John chapter 3, it talks about that. Light and darkness are an enmity with each other. Carnality and the Spirit of God are fighting each other. They can never coexist. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Examine yourselves. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves? Don't you know yourself? How that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? So God is saying here, check out yourself. You know, we go to a doctor often. We have to examine ourselves physically. We don't want to have some physical issues that might harm us when it would take some basic medication to fix. The same thing in the spirit world. Have you examined if you're truly born again and saved? 
And there are many tests of faith. I'd like to probably discuss that next week as a sermon message. But there are many tests of faith. John said, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the Son of God. Do you believe on the name of Jesus, that's the name above all names, as the Son of God, your Redeemer, your Savior, your Lord, and King? If you do, you're saved. Matthew 25, 8, And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. The foolish people think that salvation is something they can get from another person. Or maybe from their pastor. Or maybe because their grandma was a holy person and went to church and she's in heaven and surely she's going to bring me with her. It doesn't work that way. You can't give away your salvation no matter how much you want to see somebody saved. Nor can they receive your salvation. It's only through the grace of God working one-on-one. Proverbs 13, 9 says, The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. So on the day of judgment, the lamp of the righteous will shine bright with the holiness of God. We will shine as the brightness of the stars forever. But here it says, the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. They light that wick, it burns out for a couple of seconds, and then their lamp is dark. Luke 21, 34 says, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, partying, and drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and so that the day come upon you unawares. Jesus is warning us not to get caught up in the ways of the world. It's so easy to want to party with people and fellowship with people, but most of the time that leads to sin. God is saying, be careful, examine yourselves, and take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be overcharged with the worldliness, And look at Luke 21, 35, he says, For as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Everybody living on the earth, everywhere. Here in America, China, Africa, South America, India, wherever. The whole face of the earth. And it says, as a snare. A snare is something used in hunting. You catch animals. And most of the time, that animal in the snare dies. It becomes food. Sometimes we might let it go. God is saying everybody will be caught in that snare. The snare is death. Every one of us in this room is going to die. Now the snare onto death doesn't mean everybody goes to hell. Because the saved will still go to heaven. But the snare, for as the snare shall come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Death will appear to every one of us. It's appointed on man once to die. Back to the text, 25.9, Matthew 25.9. But the wise answered in saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us, but go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Actually, this verse for me was a head-scratcher. Because why would the wise who were saved say to the lost, Go buy and sell? It's like they're giving them bad advice. It's not biblical. You can't buy yourself salvation. And yet, there are many people that are saved, that are babes in the word. They're still on milk. They never learned the scriptures and studied them as Bereans and and, and advanced into, you know, solid meat. They're still on milk. And a lot of times Christians, when we think about it, they give bad advice. And I've been guilty of that many years ago when I was still learning the word. And I probably still give bad advice, but Lord, forgive me. Okay? Hopefully the bad advice that I give becomes more narrow and narrow in its scope. Because as you learn the word of God... God's knowledge, and when you study yourself to be approved, he allows you to take 
his word of God and apply it in your life. And when you apply it, that's the wisdom of God. Here we see these wise virgins are giving bad advice to the foolish virgins. Isaiah 55, 1 says, Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that has no money, come and buy. Eat, yea, come to buy wine and milk without money and without price. The wise virgin said to the foolish virgins, go see if you can buy some. And Isaiah 55 says, you don't have to buy it. It's a gift. Gifts don't have strings of costs attached to them. Jesus paid it all. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, then he also glorified. We think about the omniscience of God. Just as there's kind of there's common grace and there's saving grace, there's really two kinds of knowledge. God knows everything that ever existed, everything that's going on today, and everything that will happen in the future. And in a single point of time, he knows everything. That's the omniscience of God. But there's another type of knowing somebody, and that's a personal relationship. I was teaching this lesson to the kids at church this morning. And I gave the example. Let's say I wanted to meet President Trump. And I got in my car and I drove up to the White House and knocked on the White House. Actually, they have a big fence around it, but let's say I buzzed the buzzer. And the Secret Service said, what do you want? I said, well, I'm here to see President Trump. And he said, well, what's your nature of your business? I said, I know everything about President Trump. I studied his life. I know his business. I know his schedule from the White House. I know his family. He's a great guy. I know everything about him. I want to see him. Secret Service says, hold on a second. They ring up the president. Hey, do you know Jim? Donald Trump goes, I never heard of him. Secret Service comes back to me and says, you might know him, but he doesn't know you. Get out of here. We're going to arrest you. Now, that's the same way. We can know everything about God. And many of those people of the foolish versions, they're going to church every Sunday. They have a great testimony to the world, but they really don't know God. They don't have a personal relationship with God. Just like I can know everything about the president, but I don't have a personal relationship with. To have a personal relationship, you spend time with that person. You talk to that person. You share your excitement of your life with that person. You share your needs. You talk. How do we talk to God? We pray. Are you praying to God? Does he know you? Of course, he's omniscient. He knows everything about you. But does he know you in a personal relationship? Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. If you're in Jesus' family, you've been adopted into his family. you become a joint heir with Christ, and you're a child of the Father, and you can call him Abba. And now you have a personal relationship. And as a child of God, you can bring your burdens to the king, and you can lay them at his feet and say, Lord, I need some help. Maybe it's an emotional issue, a financial issue, a spiritual issue. The Lord can help. And he says, cast your burdens upon him because he cares for us. He loves us. Revelation 3, 18 and 19 says, I counsel thee to buy of, the, of me gold tried in the fire 
that thou mayest be rich, in white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So here, these are the ways that those foolish virgins can become a wise virgin and be saved and enter into the kingdom. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. The gold is the word of God. It's been tried by the fire of time. And it says that you may be rich. You know, the, sometimes the <laughs> poorest people on the earth are the richest ones in heaven. Because it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom, right? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. But with God, everything is possible. And it says, anoint your eyes with eye salve. You know, we put a salve on the things that hurt because the ointments, they take away the pain and many times it's a way for us to heal. The eye salve, do you have an eye salve with God? Do you see him? Has the Holy Spirit taken the blinders off your eyes? Have they fallen off of your eyes? Do you see your need for a personal Savior? Let's look at the next text, Matthew 25, 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. So many times, people are looking for the answers to life. Remember when um, Elvis Presley died? He died in the bathroom, reading a book, searching for God. And his life went away, and as far as we know, he's not in heaven. He didn't have a godly testimony. And yet he was searching all of his life. Here, this verse says, and while they went to buy. These are the foolish versions. They're trying to buy salvation. While they were trying to buy their salvation, the bridegroom came. And look what he did. He shut the door. That door is heaven. That's a picture of heaven. The door is shut, and they cannot get into that heaven now anymore. Psalm 53 to 6 says, Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness for God is judge himself, Selah. Selah meaning contemplate this. Take a minute and think about these, these verses. And it says, and God shall come and shall not keep silence. God will come. And it says, a fire shall devour before him. God is a consuming fire. That's what the Bible says. When he comes back, all the wickedness will be consumed with fire. And in many times, fire purges, fire cleans. When a fire goes through a woods... It'll burn down the trees, and that land almost becomes pristine. And it allows new growth. And it says, the heaven shall declare his righteousness. And he's going to call from the heavens above and to the earth. The angels will be coming back with the Lord. And they're going to be his servants. The angels will call the sheep from the goats, the saved from the unsaved, the wheat from the chaff, the wise virgins from the foolish virgins. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 9 says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction, 
from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. God is coming back. He will have vengeance. He will be a consuming fire. And it says he will take the lost. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. The lake of fire will never go out. Destruction from the presence of the Lord. All the things about God are good. All his attributes. And in the lake of fire, they're not going to have access to any of those attributes of God. It's going to be away from them. And it's going to be away from his glory. It's going to be away from his power. Hebrews 12, 17 says, For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. This verse from Hebrews is talking about Jacob's brother, Esau. Remember, Esau sold his birthright for a, for a bowl of porridge. He blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He crossed that line where he was no longer allowed to get into heaven. And it says he sought repentance with tears. When he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. The Bible goes on to say, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. That is very strong language for God to say he hates a soul. And it says, for Esau found no place of repentance. His time had passed. And that's scary because you can do the sin that's unpardonable. But if you have a, a need in your heart, you haven't done it. Don't worry about that. Because God is still knocking on your heart. He's at the door. Open it up and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you have not yet done that. Matthew 25, 11 says, Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. They're locked out of heaven. And now they want to say, God, we want to come into the banquet. We want to come into the marriage feast of the Lamb. We want to come into heaven. Luke 13, 24 and 25 says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive. Strive means you're, you're exercising yourself. You're working hard at it. And what is the straight gate? The straight gate is Jesus. Let's say there was a doorway here, and through this doorway was heaven. And this doorway was very, very narrow. It was a straight gate. This straight gate is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life into heaven. Now, this straight gate is so narrow that I can only get in like this. And I can't have a backpack on my back, or I can't get through that straight gate. And in my backpack, I can't have all my favorite sins. Because I can't get into heaven with my backpack full of sins because this straight gate is very narrow. And it goes on to say, For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. They're trying to go into the straight gate of Jesus carrying their backpack of sins. And that gate is too narrow for that to happen. When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door, you will begin to stand without and to knock on the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know not whence you are. I don't know who you are. The people that come into the, into the kingdom, that's the bride. And I was, I was saying this to some kids at the jail. I said to them, can you imagine somebody knocking at your door? And this lady is standing at the door and said, I want to marry you. And you go, I don't know who you are. Why would you let that lady in your house to marry her if you didn't know her? And yet these five foolish virgins, they're saying, let me into heaven. 
And Jesus is saying, I know not whence you are. I don't know who you are. Why would I let you come in and be my bride? It's not going to happen. Revelation 3, 7 says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. That's Jesus. He's holy. He's true. He has the key of David. David was the king, and Jesus is the king of kings. And he says, He that openeth, and no man shuts. He that shuts, no man opens. What God closes, when that door of heaven is closed to that soul, nobody can open it. When Jesus closes that way into heaven, it's closed. And when he opens the path, nobody can shut it off. When his Holy Spirit is chasing you and calling you and saying, you need to repent, you need to be saved, you need to believe, you need to have faith, there's nobody that can divert that. Nobody can change what God has intended. Matthew 25, 12 says, But he answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I know you not. So here again, Jesus is saying to these foolish virgins, I don't know who you are. Psalm 1, 5, and 6 says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. In Psalm 1 here, this is the Bema seat. This is not the great white throne. It says, therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the beneath judgment of rewards in heaven, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. God is not going to allow heaven to be tainted by people that are steeped in sin. You have to get right with God. You have to be washed by the Holy Spirit. Your sins have to be under the blood. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your transgressions have to be removed or you will not get into heaven. Matthew eleven twenty one to 23 says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord. These are people who profess to be Christians because they're calling God Lord. These are not atheists. But who gets into heaven? He that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. That's the key to getting into heaven. Doing the will of God. If you're a child of God, you want to do the will of your Father. Just like my children when they were little, they wanted to please me. It's normal for children to want to please their mom and dad. The same way with us. If we're saved, we're going to want to please God with what we do. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied, preached in your name? Have we not cast out devils? And in your name done wonderful works? And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And we have an example of Judas Iscariot in the Bible. Remember Jesus sent out disciples two by two, and they prophesied, they cast out demons, they did many mighty miracles. Judas Iscariot was in that camp. This verse speaks directly to him because we know he went to his place in hell. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his. And let every one of you that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. How many of you women in this room used to can? Okay, did you use those cur cans? And Okay, my mom used to do that. When you would put the jars in the cooker, you wanted to seal them because you wanted to keep the freshness in there. If you're saved, you're sealed. The Holy Spirit's in you. You can't lose your salvation. Just like that jar that you would seal when you were canning it, here it says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Are you sealed with the Holy Spirit today? The Lord knows them that are His. Just like my mom, 
when she would take those cans out, she'd go, oh, that was not sealed. She knew the ones that were sealed, and she knew the ones that weren't sealed. They were no good. They weren't acceptable. And if you're not sealed with the Holy Spirit at the judgment date, you're not acceptable. The primary way to watch for God is to pray for God. And this will be the last point. Matthew 25, 13 says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. How do we want to prepare for the Lord coming back and He will come back? We need to watch and pray. Luke 21, 36 says, Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. God is saying all these things will come to pass and if you want to escape the judgment of the great white throne and hell in the lake of fire, you need to be saved. If you want to stand before the Son of Man, that's Jesus, in righteousness, you need to be saved. Colossians 4, 2 says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So Jesus is saying, watch and pray, and now he's adding thanksgiving. Are we thankful for the things that God has given us in his life? We should be. Most of all, we should be thankful for the cross, for Jesus dying, for his shed blood, for his justification for the atonement that we have, for the reconciliation through the blood, for that propitiation, for the taking away of God's wrath. All of those things we should be thankful. And then we should be thankful that we have breath, that we can pray, that we can share the gospel with other people that are lost. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. The end is here. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Sober means we shouldn't be drunk with the cares of the world. Many times people put golf ahead of going to church. They put football and basketball and entertainment ahead of serving the Lord. 2 Peter 3, 13 and 14 says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. So it says, we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21. John says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down from heaven, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There will be a new heaven, and there will be a new earth. And it says, therefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent. Diligent means you're doing about your task. You're doing it well, and you're doing it in a timely way. Be diligent that you may be found of Jesus in peace. Are you at peace with God today? You know, a lot of times we get out of fellowship with somebody and we need to reconcile. We need to apologize. We need to ask for forgiveness. The same way with God. When we're in sin, we're out of balance. We're out of fellowship. Are you in peace with God? Are you without spot and blameless? Those are the questions God's asking us today because he's coming back soon. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, again, a beautiful day. I thank you for all of the residents that are here, that you would bless them this upcoming week with good health, with sound minds, and Lord, that they would be spiritually strong too. And also for Jonathan and me, as we go about our business this week. Lord, I thank you for your word. It's so wonderful. It's, it's so awesome. There's so much knowledge and beauty. And Lord, just soak our souls with your word and give us a love for you, a love for your Holy Spirit a love for your word, that we want to drench ourselves with your love and your holiness every day. 
We ask this in your name, Jesus, the one true, only God. Thank you, Father, for your Son and your Holy Spirit being with us today. Amen.